Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Omar. You shall not what? Covet. You shall not what? Come on. Covet. Covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or what's the next word? Or, or anything that is your neighbor's. That is the word of the good Lord. Go ahead and take a seat, everybody. You know, during the early 90s, there was a story about a girl that literally rocked the nation. And the name of that girl was Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. In fact, how many of us, by a show of hands, remember Tanya Harding? Yeah, many of us, right? We, we lived through all that. Well, listen, if you were just too young for that or maybe you're not aware of what happened, let me just give you a quick overview of what happened in her life. You know, to begin with, her childhood was kind of, it was very difficult uh, you know, they lived in relative poverty. Her father was oftentimes unemployed and sick, so that added to, you know, their struggles financially. Uh, their, her mother had her own issues, and so she would always verbally and emotionally abuse her. And then they moved a bunch of times when, they were, when she was young. So you can imagine, it's a very difficult upbringing. But despite of all that, despite, despite all that, God still gave her a very special talent God gave her a very special ability, and that talent was what? Was ice skating, right? And for many, for, for her, that was her refuge. And she gave herself to ice skating, and she practiced and practiced, and she got better, and she greatly excelled at skating to the point that in 1991, she won the national championship, and she was the first woman to ever complete a triple axle in competition, and so you can imagine, she was at the top of the skating world. She had all the accolades, all the following, all the, all the endorsements, and the entire nation loved her. And really, they were just rooting for Tanya. And even though she was at the top of the skating world, as she looked down, there was another girl who God began to bless her as well, who God gave her some abilities, and she was an up-and-comer in the sport. And Tanya didn't deal too well with her as an up-and-comer. In fact, her name was Nancy Kerrigan. In fact, take a look at this video. Meanwhile, Nancy Kerrigan is looking like the star of the future. She's poised to become the next big successful skater from America. Your 1993 National Lady Free Skating Champion of the United States. I think there's this misconception that Nancy Kerrigan was born in Buckingham Palace. It's all false. She was from a very working-class background. But the influences in Kerrigan's life were completely 100% different than Tanya's, and there splits it forever. Nancy Kerrigan was graceful. She was put together, and she was the all-American girl. Doesn't she look elegant? No, she looks like a little angel. <laughs> She had a trademark move of reaching one arm out and pulling another leg back. That kind of a move is so effective when you hold it. 
Nancy's right in line with the other darlings. I don't mean that sarcastically. She fit the DNA, the mold, the MO, whatever you want to call it. Nancy fit it. Good for her. And you know, Tanya is just burning. She is absolutely burning. Great, Dan. Well, you know, from that point on, it was evident to really the entire nation that Tanya's heart be, be, became, began to be, to be filled with covetousness and feelings of envy. You see, all the attention, all the love, all the following that she had all to herself, now she had to split it with Nancy, and it was going a lot towards her. And right before the 1994 championships, right before the Olympics, folks, the unthinkable happened. And as Nancy Kerrigan was just doing her last practice run right before she would go and compete against Tanya, she would get out of the ice and she would start heading back towards her locker room. And as she was heading back, she was ambushed, she was attacked, and her legs were taken out. Yeah, in fact, take a look at this raw footage that many of us probably remember. Crazy scene, right? A lot of us remember that scene. As it turns out, even though Tanya was not the one who actually hit Nancy, she later confessed to being aware of the plan by her husband and his friends and really not doing much about it. So there was a whole issue there. But as we reflect back on that story and all the drama and all the media coverage, that one thing that was clearly evident is at that point, listen, her heart was just filled with, this, with covetousness and it literally wrecked her life. She was never the same after that. In fact, she was stripped from all of her uh, medals. She was banned from figure skating. And not only did she become the scorn of the nation, she became the laughingstock of the nation. Now, family, let me just bring you know, all of that story over to our teaching for today because family, listen, what a picture of what could happen to each and every one of us. And by that, I mean that just like Tanya's strong desire for that which was not hers, covetousness, it led her down a path that she could never recover. Folks, just like that, and here's the big idea for this weekend. When you and I are consumed with covetousness, with this desire for that which is not ours, listen, it, bega it begins to affect every single area of our life. It affects our soul, it affects our friendships, our relationships, our marriages, our finances. And the worst part is that it starts leading us farther and farther and farther away from God. Now, you may be sitting there at one of our campuses and you may be thinking, well, 
pastor, I mean, I've heard of this thought of this concept of covetousness, but what exactly is covetousness? And how does that really just apply to my life? If I struggle with covetousness, how can I overcome it? And we're going to find out from Exodus chapter 20. So if you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. You can also follow along in our listening guides. And with that in mind, listen, church family, I have two thoughts for us today on what is covetousness and how to overcome it. So write this down as point number one. Coveting is being dissatisfied with what God has provided for you. Now, before we dive in, it's important to remember that even though these 10 commandments really transcend cultures and eras, they were initially given to the people of God who had come out out of slavery. See, as you may recall, the people of Israel were in slavery not for 50 or 100 years, they were in slavery for 400 years. And during those, all those 400 years, listen, they were not allowed to have property. They were not allowed to have, to, to have possessions. And so as God now leads them out of that slavery and leads them into the promised land, God, for the, first, for the very first time, starts providing for them property, starts providing for them possessions, things that they own. And so God is, is reminding, listen, I am your great provider. I am the one who sovereignly gives to you and assigns what each will have. And now that I am your provider and I'm beginning to provide for you, in that context, now he gives them the 10th commandment. And he tells them, now that I've given you everything, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, last week, Pastor Ray kind of reminded us that really neighbor means anybody that is around us in this world. It doesn't have to be our physical neighbor, but anybody that we meet. And so this list is not exhaustive, because notice at the end it says, or anything that your neighbor has which means that you can covet someone's possessions, you can covet someone's uh, spouse, you can covet someone's abilities, their popularity, their children's place set. You can covet anything and everything that your neighbor has. Now go ahead and circle the word covet because we're gonna spend some time just looking at that word. Circle the word covet right there in your handout or in your Bibles because the word covet there in the original Hebrew you know, we always like to remind you that the Bible was first written in Greek and Hebrew and then translated into different languages. The word there for covet is the Hebrew word hamad. And the word hamad simply means to desire or to want something. It's a very common word. It's a very neutral word. And so it can be used in the positive or in the negative, which should pose a problem in your mind because they posed a problem in my mind. Because if the word hamad simply means a want or desire, at what point does our want or desire go from being ones that are God-honoring to wants and desires who are really God-dishonoring or sinful before God? Because truth be known, listen, you and I, listen, we all have wants, we all have desires, we all have goals in our life, we have things that we aspire to. So at what point does our our want go from being God-honoring to being sinful before God. Well, here's a simple way of putting it. Write this down as letter A and letter B. In wanting a God-honoring want, you control that desire. 
You control it. However, in coveting, that desire controls you. That desire controls you. And so the idea behind coveting is that there's a level of want, of desire in your heart that once it becomes so powerful, it's so strong, you get to a point that unless you get that one thing, unless you get that one person, you'll never be happy. You'll, you'll never be complete. You'll never feel like you're at peace. Now, folks, listen, there's nothing wrong with having desires, but not to the degree that it controls you. Why? Because only God should be the one that determines our steps, right? God is the one that leads us and controls our life. Amen, family? God is the only one who should do that. But here's the reality. Whenever we're on social media, we go to a car dealership, or we see a friend, or we go to the mall, or whatever the case may be, the moment that those desires begin to grow, and we see something that we want, and they're unchecked, and they continue to grow, listen, oftentimes it leads us to do things that normally we would not do, even if those things really do not please God. And so, in fact, write this down as small number one. Listen, coveting leads us oftentimes to ungodliness, to ungodliness. In other words, these desires lead us to do things that, truth be known, are not very honoring to the Lord. So let me just give us some examples so, so we can understand how this whole thing works. Let's suppose you're invited to your friends get together at their home. And so it's a potluck, so you're making your own little dish, you're bringing the kiddos, right? So you get to the house, they open the door, they go to the backyard. And so you go to the kitchen because that's where you're going to leave the dish. And so from your understanding, they have a kitchen just like yours. But when you get to that kitchen and you drop off that dish, guess what? They have a brand new kitchen. Oh, yeah. And you have a brand new kitchen and you are looking at it and it's, it's just so beautiful. And here's what happens at that moment. We start comparing our regular old kitchen to that beautiful new kitchen. Something that happens, right? With anything in life, we compare what we have to the new thing that someone had. And so when you look at the kitchen, you start really comparing your kitchen and their kitchen, and you have some regular good old Formica counters, but they have quartz, right? They have the quartz countertops. And now you go to the, to the faucet, and you have the one with the little crystals that you have to, you know, go, you know, make around. But they got the one that you just move the hand underneath, and the water comes out. So you, you're, you're seeing that. And then you have a regular good old white fridge, but they got the stainless steel fridge with the little window, right? So you can see the produce inside and the LCD screen that you press a button and then Amazon Fresh delivers the next day. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the fridge they got. And you see their stove. They got a six burner gas stove. You have four burner electric stove. And even, and here's the thing, even though your kitchen is perfectly fine, you know, you're there at the party and you're going home and that week you're thinking, my kitchen, man, we got to change this kitchen. Isn't that right? We start, even though there's a perfect kitchen, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not that, that old. Guess what? In your mind, you start rationalizing. You're thinking, man, you know, it's just time to get a new kitchen. These countertops and this sink, it's just time for us to, to get a new kitchen, even though you're really not in a position financially to get that kitchen. So you move heaven and earth to try to figure things out. You open a can of Home Depot, Lowe's, and you get that kitchen, and you're going to construction, and you're putting yourself in debt and then you go to the next week to their house, and you see that she's wearing certain shoes. 
those pumps that you love, that she's wearing them, right? And not only that, but you have a 45-inch TV, but he has a 65-inch TV. So guess what? Now you're thinking, man, I got to get a new TV. And so you take out that credit card, you start swiping and swiping and swiping, right? You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And little by little, here's what happens. You start piling on the debt. You start just racking up your credit cards and really not being wise stewards of the money that God has given to you. And now you and your spouse are having troubles because you're, having, you're financially tight and you're having issues. And so what, that coveting of whatever they had, right? Now you put debt on you and you put your family in a tough financial position. You know, I was thinking about those credit cards. They should not be called credit cards. They should be called covet cards, right? Because truth be known, most of a good majority of the things that we put on those credit cards are not things that we really, really need. Truth be known is that we rationalize and tell ourselves the need, but truth be known, we're coveting something, so we just keep racking up those credit cards. Or maybe you're at work and you've been working at a company for eight or seven or eight years and you've been a faithful worker and you're ready for a promotion. And you know that season of promotion is coming up. So right during that season, your boss overlooks you. And guess who they promote? They promote that guy that they just hired two years ago. And so everyone's just kind of celebrating them and, and he gets promoted. And when you see them in the hall, you say, Congratulations. But what, deep down, you're like, I don't like you, right? And deep down, you're thinking, I hope, here's what you think, I hope they don't do well in that job so that they can realize that I'm the one that should have been in that position. And now you go to the coffee station. Here's what you do. You go to the coffee station. It's at 3 o'clock. Make that cafecito, right? You're there in the coffee. You get all the people around, and then you start gossiping. And you start slandering that person. Why? Because you covet that position, and that's led you to what? To gossip and to slander them in your heart and with other people. Or maybe, you know, maybe you've come to a point that you started following a friend of yours and their spouse, and once you start following them, you start noticing of all their posts, right? You're on, on Instagram, and you're seeing their, their posts, and he's like the guy who's always doing stuff around the house. Right? He's the one doing stuff outside. He's painting things. He's fixing doors, a fence. He's doing all that stuff. And not only that, but on Fridays, he's always coming home for a date night with a bouquet of flowers. Right? And, and she's taking pictures of it, and everyone's commenting, and the whole deal, super romantic. She's one of these girls who's super thin, works out every day, is always showing off her figure. She's making meals that are 90, 90, 90 calories but taste amazing. You know what I'm talking about? They're taking pictures. And now you just booked a trip to Disney World with your family. And you cannot wait to sit in two-hour lines in 95-degree weather, right? You're going to Disney World. And right when you're going, you're, you just booked the trip. Guess what? They put a picture that they're going to on a Mediterranean cruise. Oh, yeah. And so here's what happens. Oftentimes, we start looking at someone else's spouse, and we start comparing our spouse to their spouse. And you start thinking, you know, why can't you be more like them? Why can't you look like her? Why can't you do the things that he does? And then when it gets into an argument, what happens? 
you start tearing them down. You start dishonoring the spouse that God has given you. Why? Because you looked at another spouse, and now you're comparing your spouse, and you wish that your spouse was more like them. Why? Because you're coveting their spouse. You know, even this whole concept of coveting even leads us at times to even arguments and fighting. Listen to what James says in chapter 4, James chapter 4. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you what? Quarrel and you fight. And I started thinking to myself, this is so true. Because at the core of every single time that we get into a fight, into that we get into an argument, is because at the core of that argument, you are coveting something. You're coveting respect, you're coveting affection, you're coveting recognition, you're coveting something. And so because you're coveting something inside, you're then getting into an argument to try to obtain that one thing. And you see how powerful coveting is? It leads us even to fighting with, our, with people that we love. And so it's evident that covetousness, this feeling can become so strong that it leads us to do things that are ungodly and really do not honor God. But just like many people do things that are ungodly, other people go the opposite route. In fact, write this down as small number two. We pursue what we covet oftentimes through godliness, through godliness. Now, that may sound a little odd, right? What do you mean, Pastor Roman, what do you mean? I thought we were supposed to pursue the Lord. I thought that we were supposed to be people who pursue the things of God. How can coveting lead us to godliness? Well, here's what I mean by that. There are people who come to church, not just the churches, in church in general, that come to church, are involved in church, and unfortunate to say they even lead churches, and they do so because they think that doing godly things, that that will lead them ultimately to get what they ultimately covet. In fact, listen to what God says about those people who seek them with the wrong motives. He says that they do so imagining that godliness is a means of what? Of gain. Of gain. So here's how this looks practically. You know, suppose you're in a tough, someone's in a tough financial position or something's going at work and they feel like, man, they've been away from God too long. And so they come to church because somewhere in their mind they think, well, if I come to church and I'm right with God and I do the God thing and I'm at church and I'm here and active, then in return, God's going to start blessing me. That if I do the God thing, that God's going to start blessing me and he's going to start just providing for me. And so really when they're here, they're just here not really seeking after God, but they're seeking after what God could do for them, what they covet. You know, I heard of a guy the other day that someone, that when they tithe, when they give their 10% back to God, that the way that they give is, well, if I give 10% back to God, then God needs to really give me more than 10% back. And so for them, giving back to God is not a time of worship, it's not a time of adoration, it's not a time of obedience, but rather for them, it's almost like a business transaction with God because they give thinking that if they give to God, God's going to give them even more. You know, I, I also heard just recently, that kind of crazy, but someone here in Miami sued a church 
because they, because they didn't get back from God what they thought they were going to get. Isn't that crazy? And so you see, from the outside, listen, somebody could look, wow, they're so godly, right? They're given to God. They're so generous. But deep down in their heart, what? They're not really worshiping God. For them, they're just seeking what God could give them. Or maybe someone, you know, is longing for a relationship. They're experiencing loneliness. They want to get married. They want to meet someone. And so they start coming to church, and they start getting involved. They start getting involved in guest services. And sure, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm serving God. Yeah, I'm serving the Lord and I'm serving, you know, people. But truth be known, when they come into church, their primary thought is not God himself, but their primary thought is, I wonder who's going to be around. I wonder if someone's going to be around at church that I can meet, that I could possibly date. And you see, for them, really, what they're seeking is not so much God himself, but who are they seeking? They're just seeking a spouse. You know, you know a good way to kind of self-examine ourselves to be sure that, you know, we're here for the right reasons and that we're not using God to obtain what we covet? Is that when you get what, you, what, what you've been desiring, what you've been praying for, right, a, a spouse, a job, an opportunity, an issue gets fixed, do you see your involvement in church diminish the moment that you get what you've been asking for? Well, you know, I just can't go to church every weekend, or, hey, I'm sorry, I can't serve anymore. It just things that get a little complicated. But really, what, what, what was happening? Really, you were not here for God himself, but you were here because you were looking for God to bless you. And so really, your coveting was leading you to that. Now, folks, listen, there's nothing wrong with seeking for the, the Lord for things that we need. I, I don't want you to misunderstand that. I think that honors the Lord. I think that when we ask the Lord for our needs, that honors him because we're acknowledging him as our provider. But what doesn't honor him is that we're seeking him just for the sake of obtaining something in our life. See, it's easy for us to mask our covetousness under the banner of godliness, thinking that pursuing God, we're going to get what we ultimately covet. However, listen, the mark of a person who has a relationship with God, who has been transformed by the power of the gospel. It's not someone that's consumed with covetousness of gaining that and not being satisfied with what God has given him, but the mark of a person who's been transformed by God is that they are completely satisfied with whatever situation God has placed them in. Amen, family? In fact, let's write this down as big number two. Contentment is being satisfied with what God provides for you. In fact, listen to how the verse continues in 1 Timothy. It says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with what? With contentment is of great gain. Now circle the word contentment right there in your hand out if you can. Because the word there, contentment, in the original Greek, it just gives the idea of a mind that is at peace with your current lot. Just at peace. And so what the God's word is here saying, listen, is that you know you've made great strides in your relationship with Christ. You know that you are maturing in your relationship with the Lord. When you look at your current circumstances, whatever the case may be, your current situation, and there's a peace 
with the lot that God has given you. That's why he says there's great gain. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. Why? You see, that's when you start seeing your maturity with Christ uh, start to fruition. So really, God wants us to be content with your, write this down as A, content with your, with your circumstances, with your circumstances. Listen to how, the, to how the verse continues. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we were brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be what? We'll be content. See, in a world of social media, in a world of television, of popularity, in a world that's constantly craving more and more and more, a defining characteristic of someone who truly has encountered the living Christ is someone that even when they don't get that situation fixed, even if they don't get what they aspire to, they're, they're perfectly okay with it, and they're, they're content. Now, you may be sitting here at one of our campuses, and you may be listening to all this, and you're saying, hey, pastor, listen, I understand that God wants me to be content, be at peace with the current situation that I'm in. I, I get that. Pastor, you don't know how lonely I feel. Pastor, you don't understand the, that my financial situation. You don't understand what's happening in my life right now. And pastor, listen, I really do want to be content, but I know I'm not. And I could put all those social media posts online, and I could pretend that I'm perfectly fine, but deep down, I know that I'm not. So what is the key to contentment? We'll write this down as letter B. The key to contentment is be content with God's presence, with God's presence. In fact, listen to what God's word says in the book of Hebrews. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. But listen, you can take out the love of money. You can put, keep your life away from the love of relationships, of popularity, of a new kitchen, of new, whatever the case may be, right? Keep your life free from the love of money or whatever it is in your life and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now church family, I have to be honest because when I first saw, read this verse as I was, you know, as I was studying for this, for this, for this teaching and I was just kind of meditating on this verse, I had to wrestle with this verse for a couple days and here's why. I would expect this verse to go like this. I would expect that verse to go, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And I would expect them to say, for he will always provide for you. I would expect them to say, for he knows exactly what you need and he'll give it at the right time. Or I would expect them to say, listen, I will always make sure you're taken care of. But church family, listen, that verse doesn't talk about provision. Something we, sometimes we like to think that the way to be content is trusting God that he will always provide for your needs. But listen, that is not the key to contentment. But instead he says what? He says, my presence is enough. My presence is enough. See, being content is found 
in embracing the beautiful promise of our Lord that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Now the question is, how can that, how can that be the key to contentment? And folks, listen, I had to ask myself that question. And you know what I had to come to a, to re, to a realization? That one, once my life here on earth is completely done, my days here on earth are done, and I come before God, my Savior, and I, and I take a knee before him, and I look at him right in his eyes, and I'm gazing into who he is, can I tell you that there's nothing else is going to matter at that moment? Right? When you're sitting there before your Lord and you're looking at him, you're spending time with him, listen, that car, that promotion, that, 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 that new purse, that new shoes, whatever the case may be, listen, that's all not going to matter anymore. Why? Because you are in the presence of the living God, which made me realize that in this life, until we see God face to face, every single time, that our desires grow way too strong when our desires become to a level of covetousness, guess what? Christ is no longer enough at that moment. Now, folks, let me repeat that. Whenever in your heart that desire for things gets way too strong and you start longing after affection in an ungodly way, to start longing after acceptance, after money, after... Listen, when you start desiring for that, at that moment, listen, Christ and what he did for you at the cross is no longer enough. Amen, family? That's exactly, listen, what happens every single time that we covet. And so my challenge for you is this. Listen, in our daily life, we all have a meter of, of, of desire. The moment that your desire starts just getting way too high, listen, let that be a reminder to you that at that moment, listen, your Lord Christ, he's no longer enough. He's no longer enough. You know, and the perfect person, as the more I thought of the perfect person, a perfect example of someone who, is cont who was content has to be that of the Apostle Paul. Many of you know who the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul was someone who at one point had, had it all, really. He had notoriety, he had respect, he was financially well off. He had the brightest future of any Jewish leader of his time. In fact, the book of Acts says that because he was part of the Sanhedrin, there was a good chance that he was married at some point. And folks, when he came to know Christ, he gave his life to Christ and began to follow him as if he lost it all. At that point, listen, he lost all his friends. He pretty much lost all his future. He lost all his money. He began to be scorned. He began to be beaten, flogged, homeless. As Paul gets just later to his life, and now he's an older man, with all the aches and pain that age and, and years bring along. So he finds himself now at the end of his life in a jail cell in Rome, dark and damp. In fact, I visited that cell. 
And as he's sitting there, he's probably thinking of all he's lost. He's thinking about, he's reflecting of his life. And he's thinking about the friends that he used to have, the home he used to have. I'm sure at that point he's probably trying to cover his wounds from getting infected. His back is flogged beyond the recognition of a normal human back. Scripture says that his eyes were failing him already. He had an eye issue, so I'm sure he couldn't see much in that cell. Perhaps he's thinking about the wife he he once had. If he had children, what would they look like? What would it look to raise a child, a baby, have a, a family? So he's just reflecting on all of that, all he's lost on his current circumstances. And folks, at that moment, that man picks up a pen and begins to write a letter to the Philippians. And he says, I know what it means to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. You know, unfortunately, that last verse right there is a verse that many people like to quote when they're trying to obtain something, trying to get a job, trying to get a raise, trying to get an opportunity, trying to do something. Oftentimes people use that verse to try to obtain what they covet, but that's exactly the opposite of what the Apostle Paul meant there. Paul was saying, listen, even in these conditions, even in these conditions, I have learned to be content. Because in Christ, I can endure any situation in life. I have the Lord Almighty with me, and He's more than enough. So I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Maybe when you walked in, your primary issue in your life that you're concerned about, that you wish things were different, was maybe something in your marriage. Perhaps your marriage did not become all that you thought it would be. Maybe you're single and you're longing to be in a relationship. Maybe you're married and you haven't been able to have children and so you're trying but you don't you haven't been able to have. Maybe some of us are in a bad situation at work or you've lost a hope or future or an opportunity, a disappointment. Maybe there's an illness that you're struggling with that you're, or aches or listen, you know, you know your life. Here's what I would say. You can sum up. You can sum up. Of, you can sum up all of Paul's writings in just a short phrase. Is all I need is you, Lord. That's all we need. All we need is the Lord. So, in a few moments, we're going to sing that song again, and I want you to just think of your current situation. And when you sing, you sing to the Lord. All I need is you, Lord. Despite of what's happening in my life. All we need is him. Amen, family? Amen. So go ahead and stand up with me. Let me pray for us as we conclude. And then we're going to sing that song. Father God, we are 
You're so grateful of how, what a, an amazing God you are. And Father, all of us in our hearts, Father, we struggle with covetous, covetousness to one degree or another. But Father, as we reflect on your goodness, on your mercy, Father, always remind us, O oh Lord, that all we need is you. Despite of the struggle, despite of the disappointments, despite of the sadness, despite of the situation and the conditions, listen, all we need is, Lord, is you, my God. And so, Father, as we sing this song now to you, O oh Lord, we, I pray that our people together as a church, individually and collectively, Lord, that we submit our desires to you, Lord. But at the end of the day, whether we receive what we desire or not, Lord, it ultimately doesn't matter because all we need is you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What a great message by Pastor Omar. If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmami.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.